0: This is Wellness 101, brought to you by the Institute of Natural Health, your home for common sense, science-based health care. Here's your host, Dr. T.J. Williams.
1: And welcome to the show, everyone. This show, for those of you just turning, tuning in for the first time, is a show designed to provide common sense, science-based strategies for a healthy life. I am your host, I'm Dr. T.J. Williams, and with me as always is Aaron. How are you doing today, Aaron? Wonderful. It's a, it's a lovely day here in the Midwest. Um, today, we are going to be talking about the prostate. We actually had um, someone shoot us a message and requested that we do a show on, on prostate health. So, here we go.
0: Yeah, and I think it's something that a lot of men are worried about because there isn't a lot of information out there until you have a diagnosis of prostate cancer.
1: Pretty much, and they, sh- they should be worried about it. I mean, prostate cancer, second leading cause of cancer death in men living in the United States. Uh, there's about 180,000 new cases and 26,000 deaths from prostate cancer in 2016 alone. I mean, wow! Yeah, it's a it's a lot of folks. It's 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 affecting a lot of men. Well, and
0: that's not the only thing that can happen, right? I no, mean it's not just cancer.
1: Correct. You can have uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia, um, which is also goes by the acronym BPH. Um, a lot of people know BPH. There's they see commercials and things like that on it. And then uh, the other one is prostatitis. Now, BPH um, affects ninety percent of men. By the age of 70. By the age of 70. <laughs> that and
0: was shocking to me. But at the same time, I also, you know, my job, I got through a lot of medical records and I pretty much, I mean, it, it, it's what I see. I mean, most men, um, if they're over 70, that is something listed on their medical records. Yeah.
1: All so. of us, all of us know someone that's been affected by it. Um, and then prostatitis is the most common reason men under the age of 50 go to see a urologist. So this is affecting everyone. And prostatitis happens, I think it's most common between in men between the ages of 36 and 50. So that's a lot of guys out there.
0: Right. And I think a lot of men don't want to think about it. And that's maybe why um, bigger problems happen that's, down the road because they're right. not, you know, seeking advice. And then plus, I know, you know, something we've talked a lot about is the fact that most men have not been given any sort of um, tips, you know, things that they can do to make sure that their prostate is healthy.
1: Yeah, basically. I mean, with the the statistics that we just threw out there, the numbers that are there, having a prostate issue is not not about chance. It's going to happen. If you live long enough, it's going to be an issue. Well, if if you... If you do nothing, right? If you do nothing, that's the that's the thing. So, diet and lifestyle changes can reduce the risk of developing prostate health problems. Um, and if you're already dealing with some of these problems, there are things out there. There's herbs or supplements that you can use to help reduce inflammation and fight prostate enlargement and actually inhibit the growth of cancer cells.
0: Right. And we're going to get into that a little later. First, kind of go over some of the you know basic information about about the prostate and some of the problems that can happen with the prostate so that you aren't just um, sitting there waiting for a problem to happen. Right,
1: right, which it seems that that we do all the time. So what is the prostate? So the prostate is really, it's just a gland in the male reproductive system. It's just a little bit larger than the size of a walnut. It's an exocrine gland, um, which means it's, uh, it secretes fluid. Other examples of exocrine glands would be things like sweat glands and salivary glands. But the prostate gland surrounds the part of the urethra. It's a tube, the, the urethra is a tube that empties the bladder just below the bladder and above the muscles of the pelvic floor. It just kind of hides in there, and that's where it sits. So what does it do? Do you have any idea, Erin?
0: Well, I mean, I I understand what it does when it's causing problems. Yeah.
1: But <laughs> yes, that's true. It, it, it hurts. Um, so the most, most important function of the prostate is producing a fluid that makes up part of the uh, seminal fluid. So it combines with the sperm cells from the testicles and fluids from other glands. Other fluids that come in here are things from the seminal vesicle and the bulbourethral urethral gland. All these fluids come together and allow for proper functioning of the sperm cells, which is very resp- or a very big part and is responsible for fertility in men. So a lot of guys with fertility issues may have issues anywhere along there. But The muscles of the prostate play a role in reproduction they kind of help make sure that the semen gets out of the out of the end of the penis and and expelled outward during ejaculation. So, in order to prevent the semen from in, entering the bladder, the the muscles of the prostate actually contract to prevent that. And probably the most important function in my opinion has to do with hormone metabolism. So, In the prostate, the male sex hormone testosterone, and we've all heard about testosterone. There are commercials on on TV about low testosterone and testosterone all the time. So in in the prostate, the male sex hormone testosterone is transformed into a biologically active form called dihydrotestosterone or DHT. Now, DHT is this androgen hormone. And androgen are male characteristics, sex hormones, things like DHEA, androstenedione, androstenediol, and things like that. So DHT is an androgen hormone that plays a role in puberty, and it helps men develop their adult male characteristics. So in order to work and function normally, the prostate needs testosterone. Okay? Does that all make sense? Am I I being relatively clear on that?
0: Yes. No, that makes
1: sense. Okay, good.
0: When we were talking about this before the show, I was a little worried he was going to go way over our heads. And um, sometimes I get lost. <laughs> so yes, I'm with you so far.
1: So okay. So in order to work and function normally, the prostate has to have testosterone. So the regulation of the prostate comes from DHT, which is this normal uh, metabolite of testosterone. But one of the things that I want to point out is that it's been shown that men with high levels of DHT also have a higher risk of prostate cancer. So just another little side note, and I don't want to get I don't want to get down into this rabbit hole too much, but DHT is responsible for male pattern baldness, okay? As DHT levels go up, hair on the head thins and as hair on the head thins, we actually DHT actually increases, or the hi- high levels of DHT actually cause us to grow more body hair and beard hair. So what we see is men with male pattern baldness have high levels of DHT, but they also grow body hair in higher concentrations, and that's a problem. Is that always true? It's not always true, but we see it frequently. Okay, it's not always true. Some guys are just ridiculously hairy regardless, <laughs> and they never lose their hair. I mean, just okay. that's just part of it. Um, but but. That's one thing that does happen, and there is a correlation between the two. So I just want to take us all back to, remember, high levels of DHT are associated with increased risk of prostate cancer. So
0: so people who are experiencing male pattern baldness should be especially... Uh, uh, diligent about prostate health
1: i think they should i think that they should be you know taking matters into their own hands i think a lot of a lot of men just like to dismiss everything and just be like oh no i'm tough and nothing's gonna ever happen to me and i'm okay and then they wait until it's too late and then there's a big problem so i think that as we go through this you know if if you're having male pattern baldness and you're seeing an increase in hair growth on the rest of your body get it checked it's yeah, not that difficult and i get that
0: i i agree with you to an extent that It's a lot easier to not have to discuss these things. But at the same time, from people I've talked to, I feel that those who are willing to do something to improve their health are not uh, given any sort of guidelines as to what they can actually do. So I think it's
1: both. That is true. And, you know, there are a lot of guys out there. I just want to hit on this last little point before we move on. There's a fine balancing act between this testosterone and DHT, and you're right. The guys don't get information on what to do, but guys do go looking to get, you know, testosterone checked. Well – I mean, there's a study, ABC News did a report. One in four men over the age of 30 has low testosterone, and that means that defi- that study defined low testosterone as testosterone below 300, okay? And, a st- you know, a lot of people are worried that taking testosterone increases your risk of cardiovascular disease. Well, it does if you're taking tons of testosterone. But if you're just taking testosterone to get your testosterone levels into normal ranges, that's where you want to be. And there's actually studies that show that there isn't an increased um, risk of cardiovascular disease heart attack stroke when doing it that way so i digress get me back on track Aaron. that's all i wanted to say about that
0: well okay so you're saying that taking testosterone is fine because i thought your point was that taking testosterone is not good if dht is not also tested
1: True. You do have to test DHT. Testosterone is not always this scary thing that, that everybody's making it out to be. But
0: it's also not the magic
1: But it may pill. not be the magic pill because you can create other issues by increasing your levels of testosterone. Because if you take more testosterone, you are likely going to increase your DHT.
0: And that could increase problems your prostate. And that could increase,
1: increase risk of, of prostate, prostate problems. problems. That's okay. exactly right. So, all right. So.
0: Why? I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm no, go probably ahead. going off on, um, you said that people are seeking out uh, treatments for low testosterone. Sure. Is this generally after they've been tested or are people just going, I mean, I guess I don't understand why someone would say, is it just fatigue or something? Like I, I'm i assuming I don't have high testosterone. Yeah,
1: so we've we've been led to believe, I think, a little bit. Falsely, I don't know if falsely is the word because they, they, all these symptoms kind of go together. But guys will have erectile dysfunction, and so they'll think that automatically, well, that's low testosterone, and so they may seek out to get their testosterone checked. Well, yeah, that can be a problem, but there are a lot of other things that could cause, you know, erectile dysfunction, fatigue, uh, decrease in physical stamina, not being able to do what you used to be able to do, and those things would be concerns or issues like thyroid disorders or cardiovascular disease so there are a lot of things out there that could be an issue and if you're just going and checking testosterone and just taking testosterone without having these other things checked and monitored you may be doing yourself a disservice
0: so is this similar to women who are having trouble you know fatigue brain fog having trouble losing weight and they go to see their doctor and have their thyroid checked and be put on thyroid medicine yeah very
1: similar kind of the
0: same thing that people are putting men on testosterone and women on levothyroxine right
1: we're just jumping immediately to a hormone and these hormones are are meant to be kept in a very narrow range and if they're off they're off for a reason then the the trick is to go figure out what the reason is not
0: just change the hormones
1: don't just increase the hormone level because you increase one hormone all the others have to react to it they all interact the whole body works together as one we're not just a a combination of parts and pieces that are working independently, our whole body has to work together and that includes our hormones. So
0: So, bottom line is that before you start supplementing with testosterone, you need to make sure that everything is in order order and realize that if they're not fully checking everything you could be increasing your risk for prostate problems
1: that's exactly right all right we got to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk a little more in depth about the three common prostate problems uh, prostate cancer benign prostatic hyperplasia and prostatitis we'll be back right after this (laughs) This is Wellness 101. Welcome back, everyone. Today we're talking about prostate health and and issues with the prostate. And when we left off, we said that we were going to come back and we're going to talk about the three most common prostate problems. Prostate cancer, uh, benign prostatic hyperplasia, BPH, and prostatitis. So leading off, we're going to start with the most serious, prostate cancer. So prostate cancer we know has become a major public health problem. Problem, and this is just this is worldwide. It's not just in the United States. Um, this form of cancer is when malignant cancer cells form in the tissues of the prostate. Okay, so signs of prostate cancer include things like this: so a weak flow of urine or frequent urination, pain or burning while urinating, blood in the urine or semen. Ongoing pain in the pelvis, back, or hips, fatigue, dizziness, shortness of breath, okay? The risk of developing prostate cancer increases with age. There are other risk factors that increase our risk as well, um, things like family history and race. So... There's a study of age-specific incidence curves, and it revealed that prostate cancer risk begins to rise sharply after a man turns 55, and then it peaks at about 70 to 74, and then the risk starts to go back down uh, slightly after that. And there are a lot of other studies out there that are autopsy studies that show that prostate cancer has a long induction period, meaning that it can be in the prostate for a long, long period of time. And many men begin to have lesions in their 20s and 30s in their prostate. The risk of cancer, prostate cancer is approximately 60% higher in African-Americans than in Caucasians with mortality rate in African-Americans being double that of Caucasians. And I... In all honesty, I'm not really sure why that is. I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but uh, that's what the statistics show.
0: Right, and it's good to be aware of.
1: Yeah, so studies conducted as far back as the 50s determined that having a brother or father with prostate cancer increases the risk of an individual by approximately two to three-fold on average. So if you if your dad had prostate cancer, you Better be checking because you're two to three times more likely to have it than the general population. That's pretty stinking significant. Right. That is a lot. So in the United States, the risk of dying from prostate cancer began to decline in 1994. And that's when the statistics were first kept. And the mortality rate has continued to decline Basically, at about two per, two to three percent a year, so a lot of this is contributed to uh, prostate specific antigen screening. It's a blood test called the PSA test. Um, it involves measuring very specific things in the blood. So the, this PSA test, um, and guys, get this test. It's it's not that expensive. It's very important. Just ask your doctor. Hey, check my PSA. It's pretty simple to do. It's the gold standard test when testing for prostate health. Um, So prostate-specific antigen is a protein that's made by the cells of the prostate. And it's often elevated in men who have prostate cancer, but it can be elevated in other prostate problems. Things like prostatitis or BPH can also cause PSA to be elevated. There is no evidence, however, that prostatitis or bph can lead to or lead to prostate cancer but it is possible for a guy to have either prostat- uh, prostatitis or bph and then develop prostate cancer down the road it is possible but it doesn't if you if you have prostatitis doesn't mean that you're going to have cancer by any means so screening i want to talk about screening for a second because a lot of guys, I think, just don't go to the doctor, or you know, like I said before, they feel like they're too tough and nothing can ever happen to them. But screening for prostate typically happens at age fifty. All guys need to go in. That's about the same time they start doing colonoscopies. That sort of stuff. Go, go get these regular screenings. It's very important. But if you're at higher risk. You actually should start that screening at 40. And the people at higher risk are, like we said before, those who have a brother or a father that had prostate cancer and uh, those men who are African-American. Very important. Go right.
0: Ahead. Well, and I was just thinking, I, a lot of people, you know, you say don't go in and get evaluated. A lot of the, you know, I mean, you had gone over the signs of prostate cancer. A lot of them are things that you wouldn't, jump right to assuming prostate cancer. And in most likelihood, it's probably not. Things like fatigue or, you know, back, hip or pelvic pain, a lot of men experience that as they get older. It it happens. And so I, to some extent, understand why they wouldn't assume it's prostate cancer, but just keep that in mind because... You just want to make sure that
1: it's not. But, but also then again, I mean, this this goes to just going and getting a regular checkup. A lot of guys don't go get an annual physical. This is, I mean, it's ridiculous. You, I mean, we, we go to the dentist a couple of times a year, but we can't go get an annual physical? I mean, come and, on.
0: Okay. And, and I understand what you're saying, but I also <laughs> think that if you're going to a normal medical doctor... A lot of times those men are going to fare better because they aren't going to end up on a number of medications they shouldn't be on. So I think it's a double-edged sword. That's so true. I understand what you're saying that they should get checked. And, you know, um, certainly in your office you can run the test and you can check sure. them. But at the same time, I am kind of leery of saying that people should keep seeing their doctor for normal checkups because that's how you keep increasing medications.
1: Well, that is a that is a very valid point. So, and I want to talk just a little bit more about the PSA test. I mean, it's not a perfect test. Um, we've kind of talked about the fact that, you know, it can be elevated in a lot of different things. But, I mean, there's no real set high or low with this there's no specific normal or abnormal for the test a lot of doctors we basically consider that a psa level above four is abnormal um and if it's lower than four it's normal the problem is there's a lot of studies out there there are studies that show that prostate cancer um men who have prostate cancer rather can have levels below four, and men who don't have prostate cancer can have PSA levels above four and significantly higher than four. So with that being said, in general, it's a good rule of thumb if it's above four. Yeah, there, there may be something going on. Try to get that figured out and, and get to the bottom of it. But, you know, for things like that, I like to, I like to say, hey, you know what, a, a urologist is going to be good at that. They're going to be the ones that determine what's really going on um, when it comes to combining the test results with a physical exam.
0: So basically what you're saying is, like, if you ran the test, if they are below four and they have symptoms you would suggest they see a
1: specialist? I probably would. yeah. Or if they're higher than four, or if they're higher than four, I would say, Hey, you know what? This is, this is, this is what's going to happen. I mean, you know, I already know the playbook. A lot of times it's watchful waiting and we're going to talk about that maybe in a little bit, but if they're above four and we send them to a urologist, the urologist is likely going to say, Hey, let's just wait a year or six months and see what it's doing in that time. I'm going to be employing these natural things that we're going to talk about toward the end of the show of what they can do to help lower that. And A lot of times that just lowers. And so we know we're doing something right, um, but that's going to be the game plan for sure. Um, So let's move on. You want to move on to prostatitis? Yes. All right. So prostatitis. So prostatitis is a pretty significant health issue. Um, The prevalence rates are between 11 and 16 percent. But there are more than 2 million consultations for prostatitis every year in the United States. The most common reason that men under the age of 50 go to a urologist is because of prostatitis. It generates more physician visits than BPH or prostate cancer in the United States. That's pretty profound.
0: It is profound, and it's somewhat surprising, I guess, to me because it was my understanding that BPH is more... Common.
1: It is more common, but...
0: So people don't, um, don't necessarily go to the doctor if they have BPH, but they will if they have the symptoms of prostatitis?
1: Yeah, so kind of. So really what it goes down to, what it boils down to rather, prostatitis is an inflammation of the prostate. A lot of times this comes with a bacterial or an acute bacterial infection, so they'll have pretty sharp pain. And... I mean, guys, if that's an area that's painful, you're going to go figure out what in the world's going on. That's just all there is to it. Whereas BPH is a, oftentimes a much more slower process and they don't, it's such a slow insidious onset that they don't necessarily correlate it with anything. That makes sense. So that's why it drives these visits. Cause I mean, you wake up one day and everything hurts. You're going to go find out what it is right. and you're going to get in as quick as you can. And you're not really going to care what urologist you see. You're going to go to the first one that's got an opening. Right okay that makes sense so that's what it is there there are different kinds there's nonbacterial um prostatitis that can be caused by stress and um things like that there's bacterial prostatitis like i just said that can be the result of a of a bacterial infection or sexually transmitted disease even and then there's prostodynia um which is chronic prostatitis um it may be bacterial or you know other things it it's just oftentimes an ongoing pelvic pain issue so that's prostatitis it's relatively short now bph this one's a little this is a little longer longer topic so. BPH again benign prostatic hyperplasia is an enlarged prostate. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about this because this is the one issue that most men are likely to get. And um, it
0: sounds like less likely to seek treatment for.
1: Yes. <laughs> How funny is that? And so it's it's pretty interesting. So throughout a throughout a, a normal adult male's life the prostate is going to grow. Okay, For some men, it doesn't bring about any serious symptoms, but for others, it can lead to issues that affect not just the prostate, but also their quality of life. So here's another little statistic on an enlarged prostate. It affects one in five men between the ages of 50 and 60, and it's even more common the older we get. The symptoms are bothersome. Uh, They cause problems in your personal life because you can't sleep. I mean, these things, it's just a... Chronic ache. You, it hurts to sit. It hurts to sleep. It, a lot of stuff. And medication and surgery can actually make matters worse because sometimes it's not even necessary. So, all right, we got to take another break. When we come back, we're going to finish up talking about um, benign prostatic hyperplasia. You're listening to Wellness 101. <laughs> This is Wellness 101. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. If you're just tuning in, we are discussing all things prostate today. It's an an exciting and eventful talk. Erin has been more vocal than I've ever could have imagined. (laughs) I think she said 14 words the whole show. (laughs)
0: That's probably good. People probably don't want to hear me talk about the prostate, so that's all right.
1: (laughs) Maybe, 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 maybe so, maybe so. All right, so when we left off, we were talking about benign prostatic hyperplasia. Um, We were talking about how it affects uh, 25% or 20% of men between the ages of 50 and 60. Um, It's the prostate issue that most men are most likely to encounter. And we were just talking about, um, you know, how... Turning to medication and surgery can actually make matters worse, uh, especially when if the procedure isn 't entirely necessary um, so that 's where we were now, moving forward so as we talked earlier in the show, the prostate gland is located just below the bladder between the rectum and the base of the penis all right so because the prostate wraps around the urethra where this is what urine passes through and enlarged prostate can cause a lot of issues with urination and you know i mean it, guys if if you're having a really hard time if you're really struggling to get going go get that checked out that's not normal It's go get that checked out. It
0: it becomes so common, and this is from what I've read, obviously not from personal experience, but it becomes so common that men just think, well, that's what happens when you get older. But it's, and yeah, it is more common as you get older, but it's a problem. Right. And it is going to lead to more problems if you don't get it, you know, if it's not addressed.
1: Right. So how does it happen? What's the mechanism here? So... When the prostate grows, it can push against the bladder and then the urethra, and it actually makes you feel like you have to urinate even though your bladder's not full, and it can also prevent urine from flowing out naturally. All right. The feeling becomes even stronger when the muscles at the bottom of the bladder begin tra- contracting, even when there's only a small amount of urine present. And trust me, I've, I've – sp- Spoken with guys that have had this issue, it is not fun when they're telling me, "Look, I have to. I feel like I have to go to the restroom like twenty-five times a day. That's a problem. Go get that checked. Someone will help you." Um, So over time, this isn't just an issue, you know, short term. Over time, the pressure actually can weaken the bladder, and because we weaken the bladder, we're not able to actually empty the bladder properly. Which can leave some urine behind. This can cause an increased risk of bladder infection and even these things called bladder stones. And no one wants that to happen. So I want to talk a little bit about what BPH stands for. So BPH, the word benign... Um, benign prostatic hyperplasia benign means that the growth is not cancerous and the word hyperplasia just means that it's enlargement or abnormal increase in the cells it 's the most common non cancerous form of cell growth in men but it does not lead to prostate cancer so what are some of the symptoms guys it, it most of us you know we don't we don 't talk to our our buddies about you know our our prostate and our urinary habits so If you're having any of these issues, go get it checked out, okay? So issues such as frequent urination, especially at night, difficulty postponing urination. So you're just like, oh my gosh, I have to go and I have to go right now. I can't wait another 30 minutes. Um, That's an issue. If it takes longer for urine to start flowing, despite the fact that you have an urgency to go, that happened to sit there and strain to get, you're, get the stream going, that's a problem. Straining when urinating, and that's, that is a big, big issue. It's a big red flag. A weak urine flow and taking longer to finish. If you're just standing there forever and ever and ever and ever going, that's a problem too. Um, dripping and leaking after urination, feeling like the bladder is not empty. So all of those are symptoms of BPH. Now, Here's another little thing. There's not always a direct relationship between the size of the prostate and the symptoms. So basically what this means is that there are some men out there that have very enlarged prostates, but they don't really experience any symptoms and vice versa. Other men whose prostate isn't really that large, but they have all kinds of problems associated with BPH. So about a third of the men with an enlarged prostate have lower urinary tract symptoms. Um, and this can interfere with their quality of life. Um, the symptoms are very, very similar, okay, for lower urinary tract sim- uh, symptoms. So, these are things like frequent urination, especially at night, voiding problems, um, poor stream, incomplete urination. For some men, these symptoms subside over time, while for others, they actually remain the same or or deteriorate. And if they get worse, we're talking about a potential surgical treatment here. So. This is an issue. I'm, I can't urge enough, guys. Go get this stuff checked out. It's important. Um, occasionally, men with enlarged pr- prostates can just all of a sudden have difficulty urinating or they can't go at all. And this is a big problem. This is requires basically... A, a, your go to the hospital, do not collect go, do not, you know, collect, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Sorry, I really messed up my Monopoly yep. reference there. <laughs> Just butchered that. Dang. Um, and so, anyway, that's, that's, you got to go to the hospital and get that taken care of right now because that can lead to all kinds of problems. Urine can back up into the kidneys and create issues. We've got to, you've got to get that under control. So, did you have something to add, Aaron? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. She was over here, you know, doing something fidgeting. And I thought she had something to say. I'm I'm over here concentrating on getting the information across. Um, So basically, if they have this, if you have difficulty or, or just stop going, you've got to go get that checked out. So what are some causes of BPH? So it's Perfectly normal for the prostate to grow during puberty um, until it's about the size of a walnut. We said in the very beginning it's a gland. It's about the size of a walnut. Around the age of 25, the prostate begins to very slowly grow again. So from puberty to about 25, it really doesn't do a lot. But then once we hit 25, it starts to grow and grow slowly. Um, the, the rate of growth is not the same for every man. Um, for some, it grows a lot more than others. Alright, so the changes that occur with our male sex hormones as a part of the aging process appear to play a role in the enlargement of the prostate. As we talked before, androgens, things like testosterone, affect prostate growth. Prostate converts testosterone into DHT, dihydrotestosterone, which is a powerful androgen, and the DHT stimulates cell growth in the tissues that line the prostate gland. That's how DHT contributes to an enlarged prostate. Okay. It's a major cause of enlarged prostate, and it commonly occurs between puberty and young adulthood. Okay? So this is something that happens when we're relatively young, guys. And the estrogen present in men may also play a role in prostate enlargement. Okay, so as men age and testosterone levels drop, the proportion of estrogen increases and it may very well trigger prostate growth. And we're exposed to estrogens all over the place. I mean, we're drinking, you know, all these uh, xenoestrogens that are out there from things like plastic bottles. I mean, we're just exposed to them.
0: Right, and that can affect your hormones, which then can affect your prostate health. But I also want to caution... uh, I hear a lot about people saying, you know, come see me. I'll help your hormone problems. And we hear so much about hormones. And I just want to stress, you know, what we discussed before, which is you can't just talk about the hormones because right. we're a whole body. We are, a, you know, it's an entire system. And so anytime you have someone saying, oh, let me fix your hormones or let me fix your stress, your stress hormones or your sex hormones, um, it probably means that they don't really understand what's going on because that isn't really possible without having an effect on other parts of the body.
1: Or or they're just trying to compartmentalize. Well, you have this issue. We're going to fix this one little issue. Right. Completely ignoring all the other things that are going on. Right. I think that happens, too. Um, And that's I mean, that's a lot of what modern medicine has done is compartmentalize the human body into separate individual parts and pieces and treating them as if they work independently when they all actually work together.
0: And and I agree with you, but I think I have seen more recently, not just conventional medical doctors, but alternative practitioners advertising about the fact that they will fix your Hormone problems and they'll really focus on, you know, learn all about hormones and I will fix your, you know, sex hormones or your stress hormones. And whether, you know, it's a conventional medical doctor doing that or an alternative medicine practitioner, either one is not going, is going to be looking at one thing instead of all how the body works as a whole.
1: Yeah, you just got to be careful. Um, All right, so we have to take another break. When we come back, we are going to talk about very briefly about risk factors for BPH, and then we're going to get into what you can do to help keep your prostate healthy. You're listening to Wellness 101. gentlemen. Today we've been talking about the prostate. Um, We've been talking about benign prostatic hyperplasia, BPH. And when we left off, we said we were going to talk about risk factors. The flat out, the biggest risk factor for BPH is age. Okay. It's as you get older, your risk just continues to go up for the most part. So autopsy studies from around the world suggest the prevalence of BPH is about 10% for men in their 30s, 20% for men in their 40s, It gets 50 to 60% for men in their 60s and 80 to 90% for men in their 70s and 80s. I mean, pretty much if you live to be 70, 80 years old, you're going to have symptoms or problems with BPH. That's just an issue. Okay? So, what does conventional medicine do for BPH? Well, The first thing that they're going to employ is watchful waiting, and basically that just means that they're going to monitor and see if the condition gets worse before they turn to any form of treatment, which I think is is fantastic, actually. If if there's an issue, let's watch it and see. Let's not jump right to medications and surgery.
0: And I agree with you, but I also think this is where a lot of men get frustrated because they're told, okay, we're just going to wait and see, and they're not given any sort of, um, you know, tips Plan. as far as, right. right. And so they're just kind of a sitting duck, like waiting for bigger problems to Cause, happen.
1: Because God forbid diet and exercise actually have something to do with health.
0: Well, and I mean, it's and, a shocker. Right. But I also <laughs> think that that is, that's such a broad statement that that isn't necessarily helpful. And there are, you know, and I know we're going to get into that in a minute, right. but there are some more specific things that men can do. So while I, I agree with you, you shouldn't jump to medication or surgery. There also needs to be some sort of plan.
1: Right. So with meds, uh, most of the time they're going to give an alpha blocker or a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. Uh, The problem is that these things can take up to six months or more to show any effect on symptoms. And, you know, most guys are, they're ready to get this stuff fixed now. They don't want to have to wait six months. And I, I get that. The other option is surgery. And so this is this are things that they're they're going to use to remove or destroy the prostate tissue. And there there are other things too. There's radiation and all kinds of stuff, but that's not really for BPH, that's when you have cancer. So surgery, I mean, it's it's only necessary when there are complications of of the of the enlarged prostate that have become severe and there's no other way to relieve the discomfort. They do a transurethral resection of the prostate. It's the most common surgery. Um, and then, I mean, there's a study in 2011 that 40 patients were treated with, uh, this transurethral resection of the prostate and the participants were under the age of 80. And at the, after they collected all the data, basically they found that the quality of life significantly improved because of the me- of the procedure and the impact on quality of life really didn't have anything to do with age. So there are options out there, but... I mean, most likely they're going to say wait and watch it and see and then you're left holding the bag as far as what to do. So so
0: I have a question. Yeah. Um so you're saying that this the transurethral resection of the prostate showed a greater quality of life afterwards, so Correct. would you suggest someone going forward with that instead of watchful waiting?
1: Um no. Okay. I would not. But, I mean, I'm not treating their individual case. I mean, their case right. may no, be I such Right, no, I
0: understand a, that. It just it seems... And the
1: study was actually... I didn't mean to interrupt, but the study was actually on uh, men who had uh, a big problem. They had a lot of issues with the BPH. It wasn't just, oh, you've got some BPH. It's just a little bit there. We notice it, and your labs indicate it. No, no, these are guys that had some serious problems. It just wasn't cancer.
0: Okay, and so, basically... A big difference. What you're saying is... Uh, Conventional medicine doesn't generally give them many options. So it's, right. you know, either you live in pain, you take this medicine, or you have this procedure.
1: Yep, cut burn poison.
0: Yep. Okay. That's it. So what can they do?
1: All right. So one of the first things that they can do is make sure that they have proper nutrition in their body. At the Institute, we utilize IV nutrition. We want to fill people up and get them as nutritionally filled as we possibly can. It's the best way to get nutrients in the body. We guarantee 100% absorption when we do it that way. Um, Oral supplements are very beneficial as well. Um, but if you're going to buy oral supplements, you've got to make sure that you know the source of them. You've got to know that they're the highest quality out there. If you're buying them over the counter at the drugstore, you're probably wasting your money and you, know, you may actually be harming yourself.
0: Yeah, and I just want to, I know that this is kind of off topic, but as far as oral supplements, I have had major problems with oral supplements that I had bought over the counter, never realizing that, It could be an issue, but there are so many different fillers that are used and binders that it can cause. And the problems are things, you know, you wouldn't usually relate back to a supplement because you don't think of that as harming you. And so, yeah, just keep that in mind. And it's the easiest way to... Um, avoid those problems are to make sure that you're getting it from a repeatable source.
1: Right. So first thing that we throw out there for someone that's having some prostate issues is zinc, right? Zinc has um, a, a pretty hefty role in prostate. Um, it helps with our immune function. So there's actually a study published in the uh, Indian Journal of Urology where they found that prostate cancer cases, um, the mean tissue zinc was decreased by 83% compared to normal tissue, and in BPH cases, there was a 61% decrease in uh, in the mean tissue zinc as compared to normal tissues. So it basically is finding that guys that have prostate cancer or BPH have zinc deficiencies. Another one that we throw out there is selenium. There are a lot of benefits with selenium. It helps immune function. It helps thyroid function. There was a study that was done at the University of Arizona that evaluated the effects of selenium supplementation for skin cancer prevention, and it actually led to a 67% reduction in prostate cancer. Um, Another one out there is vitamin E. It's a huge antioxidant. It's extremely important. 32% 32% decrease in the incidence of prostate cancer if you're just taking a mere 50 milligrams of vitamin E for five to eight years. This is stuff that you have to be doing on a daily basis for a period of time. This isn't just, oh, I need to take a vitamin E pill, and you take one, and it's over. It doesn't work like that. Vitamin D. We all know the importance of vitamin D. Um, the, vitamin D is extremely important for immune function. And it helps prevent all different kinds of cancer. Lycopene is another one. It's an antioxidant. It's basically what gives fruits and vegetables their red color. Um, higher lycopene consumption is associated with a lower lower risk of prostate cancer. And then there are other things that we employ at the Institute. We just go after the inflammation. We know that pretty much any condition in the human body has to do with inflammation. So we utilize things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, pulse magnetic uh, pulse electromagnetic field therapy. We're getting ready to uh, implement cryotherapy, which is actually what we're going to be talking about next week. So tune in for that one for sure. We use acupuncture. I mean, Go ahead, Erin. She, right. she was ready.
0: Well, no, I just think that inflammation is, is key here. And I think that really is what a lot of prostate health comes down to. That is the reason why so many of these problems happen. And if you can get rid of the inflammation, you're going to get rid of a lot of the problems. And, you know, something that was mentioned earlier was, okay. you know, you have an 80 to 90 percent chance after a certain age that you're going to have this issue. That's if you're not doing the things that you can to decrease inflammation, which is what we're going over now, right. um, you and do have control over this.
1: Yeah, and big food dietary changes. We talk about food sensitivities a lot. Finding out what those are and eliminating those is key. If you're not going to find out what your food sensitivities are, get rid of sugar. Get sugar and refined flour out of your diet. We know that
0: that inflames the body.
1: We know it inflames the body. So does so does dairy. Yeah, so
0: conventional meat and dairy.
1: Conventional meat. Got to be careful with this stuff. It's, it inflames you. Um, Green tea. Green tea is the number one beverage for anti-aging because it contains super high levels of antioxidants. There's actually studies in Japan that involved about 50,000 men from their 40s to their 70s where they showed that green tea consumption was associated with a dose-dependent decrease in risk of prostate cancer. That's huge. Exercise. Get off your keister. Move. A Stanford University study showed that They reviewed studies. They showed that 16 out of the 27 studies reported reduced risk of prostate cancer in the men who were most active. And in nine of those 16, the risk was ridiculously high. Average reduction from 10 to 30 percent of risk. That's huge. 30 percent reduced. Knowing that 90 percent of men are going to have a problem, that is massive. Um, Then we have some herbs. So, I don't usually uh, recommend a lot of herbs because there are a lot of herb-herb herb -herb interactions, herb-drug interactions, and I'm always very careful with those. But a couple of them out there that work very well for prostate. One is saw palmetto. Um, It can improve symptoms of BPH. Stinging nettle is another one. It's very anti-inflammatory, which can be good. And change your thoughts about the immune system, right? We know that the immune system regulates a lot more than we ever once did. Right. We made it.
0: Well, yeah, and I think um, along the same lines, things like, we bring this up before, but even, you know, light exercise and meditation, things to lower your stress levels.
1: Yeah, yoga.
0: Will make a huge difference, and it actually decreases inflammation in the body.
1: Yep. All right, guys. Well, that's about all the time we have to, for today. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you have questions, please visit our Facebook page at the Institute of Natural Health or visit our website at theinstitutofnaturalhealth.com. You can message us, follow us on all our social media. Call us, 314-293-8123. For Wellness 101, this is Dr. TJ. Thanks for listening.